Welcome to another episode of the Unbound and Rewound Horror Podcast, where we dive deeper into every horror book and movie for a closer look at their bone-chilling anatomy. I am Avery, your Queerfully Fearfully host. This week, I'm joined by a special guest who knows more about the current topic than I do, and you know how important it is to me to have an expert. Make sure you're following me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Substack at Your Horror Podcast for the latest horror content and podcast updates, such as what to expect for every new episode. So, now, without further ado, we shall introduce today's guest. Would you like to introduce yourself to the people? (laughs) Yes, hello, I'm Carla, and I just, I just want to give a disclaimer, I'm far from an expert, I don't want, I don't want the online gamers coming for me, I'm no MatPat, that's for sure. Oh no, no one can be MatPat, so it's okay, um, no, but I mean, you played the games, you played the games when they were hot and fresh. (laughs) Yeah, I saw, I saw the first release of of Markiplier's playthrough See? when it first came out, and he was like, the scariest game ever? Scariest game? And, I mean, at the and time, that's history. when you're 14, sure, why not? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, I downloaded, I mean, we, had, we didn't even talk about what we're talking about today exactly yet. In case you don't know, we're talking about Five Nights at Freddy's, Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh, oh. No, um, I tried to play it on iOS when it came out on the app in, what, like, 2014, 2015, and I didn't like it, and I was like, okay, well, this is stupid, and I didn't know it was, like, a PC game, so I stopped playing it, and then the movie came out, and I watched the movie, and I also wanted to get more into horror games, and I said, wow, I guess I should give it a try then, um... And thus, my resurgence of gaming was birthed. I know, your Gamer Girl era is here. I know, I'm here. And I just I'm... have to get you to play Fortnite now. <sighs> I've played the Five Nights at Freddy's <laughs> Fortnite game. <laughs> Which honestly might be scarier than the actual game. No, it is scarier. <laughs> because because the, the Fortnite game, like you can hear them coming, and when they get closer to you... Especially Freddy. I think it's really only Freddy. When Freddy gets closer to you, the lights start to go out and, like, your camera starts to shake because he's stomping. And it's a real jump scare. It's so scary. And, like, you have to hide and you have to crawl through vents. And, like, the objective is, like, you have to find different pieces for a puzzle or something. I don't know. It's very stress-inducing. I'll just stick to the... To the Steam game. The Steam game. <laughs> I think that does make it more like high stakes, though. The fact that you're put in the game like firsthand, mm-hmm. and you have to like kind of work through it, like how a real person would in, in that situation, rather yeah. than like, sitting there and hitting buttons. You know what I mean? No, yeah. And I think there was what was it like the Pizzeria Simulator, which was like like freeform or what? What is it? Oh my God, Free World or whatever, where you can mm-hmm. roam and you can like walk around, whereas the other ones weren't like that before it was just like first first person pov and you just look around you point you click yeah and that's it and don't get scared (laughs) those are the three rules (laughs) um so before we start talking about well further any more about uh five nights at freddy's we do have to learn about our guests a little bit now carla is not a horror content creator they are not a movie content creator. They are just they are just a little guy <laughs> with with a, an interest in video games and and gay media. Pretty much. I don't even like horror that much really, but you know, nope. but being roommates with me, you've exposed me. You got to yeah, for better or for worse. You got to tolerate <laughs> some of it. Um, so, right now, what are you reading and watching, if you're reading and watching anything in particular? Um, well, I just got done reading Alison Bechdel's Dykes, Dykes to Watch Out For. 
Fest, which is a just like a huge compilation of comics that she's done from like 1987 to 2008. Super mm-hmm. fucking cool. If you're into comics and if you're a dyke or queer or otherwise, definitely ally. check it out. <laughs> ally. ally. Yeah, ally. I guess <laughs> if you want to learn more about about what dykes get up to in their day-to-day <laughs> lives, then give that a read. Um, and I'm currently watching, I don't know, I've been like in that in-between like stage where mm-hmm. I don't really know what to watch, but I've been watching a lot of regular show lately. So Yeah, you've been catching up. Yeah, I like cartoons. Yeah, but... We have watched What We Do in the Shadows together. We haven't watched it recently, but that and then Chucky. And that's the thing, is though Carla does not watch a lot of horror, um, we find the happy mediums, which is gay. So, Chucky. Chucky. Camp, gay. Um, We haven't even finished that either, because season three is out. Oh, is it out And we're not even through season two. Wait, when did it come out? It came out in, like, October. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and then, of course, what we do in the shadows, gay camp, um, so there's, there's overarching themes and lines there, um, but you, you're not the biggest horror fan, but of what genre could you not live without, whether it's a book, a movie, a TV show, whatever it is. Just general genre, right? General, general, general genre. General genre, uh... <laughs> I really like crime. I really like thrillers. Mm. I like crime thrillers. Little uh, detective. Little detective. I like shit that's soapy sometimes. Um, whether it's bad or it's it's good. I don't know. Like sometimes you just have a little guilty pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure show, you know? Yeah. Why not? Like Gossip Girl. Oh, gotta <laughs> love Gossip Girl. Next, you need to watch Vampire Diaries. Oh man, you'll have to convince me. You. We can do that. We okay. can do that because it's it's soapy, so soapy, <laughs> like sudsy almost. Everyone has a little bit of history with horror. Everyone can probably remember the first horror movie that scarred them, that made them feel a certain way. Um, and so for Carla, what horror movie do you remember first watching? Um, and how do you remember feeling? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I. I, the earliest memory I have of being exposed to a horror movie was when I was like four or five and I was being babysat mm. and I, they had like something on the TV and it was it. It was oh. it with Tim Curry. Oh, wow. And it was the shower scene specifically <gasps> where he's like kind of crawling yeah. out of the drain. And ever since then, like even now, sometimes like I can't shower without keeping my eyes closed for too long. <laughs> Because I'm afraid he's going to crawl out of the drain. That's so fair. No, that's real. Um, I think everyone has a adequate fear of the shower for one reason or the other. Whether it's psycho, someone just, you know, flinging open the shower curtain and stabbing you. Yeah. Yeah, whether it's Tim Curry coming out of the, coming out of the shower drain or something coming out of the back of your head from the grudge. There's so many things that can happen in the shower. Um, so you always got to keep an eye out for Selena. Um, <laughs> it's a very vulnerable place. Very vulnerable. Like, you're just, you know. Um, what was it about horror that stuck out to you when you first discovered it or just, like, as you watch more of it now? Whether, I mean, it can be a good feeling or a bad feeling, but what is it that you, like, that I guess draws you to watching more of it when you find yourself wanting to watch more of it? I think it's just how much it gets the adrenaline pumping in you yeah. i don't know because even though i don't like horror and i don't really actively seek it out every now and then there will be like that one movie where i'm like i'm very curious about this like there's yeah. some sort of like weird morbid like like itch i need to scratch mm-hmm. and like this is like making me want to i don't know i don't know there's just like certain movies no yeah i think that's something that draws everyone to horror whether they do like it or not there is just a curiosity of like um even when you're watching a movie not necessarily you see a trailer and you're like ooh that actually looks good but like as you're in the midst of watching a movie and it's something where you want to look away but you just can't for some reason like you're just like mm, I really want to know what's behind that door even though I kind of don't 
I kind of do want to know what it looks like. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and especially, like, when it comes to bodily horror. I don't know what it is, like, because, I mean, it's not stuff that you can really see yourself. That's true, yeah. And, like, I've always been fascinated with, like, zombies Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I don't really, I mean, do zombies, do zombies count as horror? Yeah. Yeah, I guess, like, that's really the only kind of horror that I, like, consume. For whatever reason, zombies, like, really terrify me, but I can't, like, any kind of content with them. I'm just like, ooh. No, yeah, especially because there's so many different renditions of zombie, like, many different um, representations, I guess, in the way that people choose to depict them, but also the way that people depict the tearing of flesh, because sometimes the tearing of flesh is so, is, like, a little bit more clean, whereas sometimes it's a little bit more chewy, so it sticks to, like, you know, like, it's harder to pull away, so it's, it's just cool, and when you think about it from the perspective of special effects and the makeup of it, then you're like you just get even more curious about the process of it all. And I think zombie makeups are one of the more, or zombie movies are one of the more um, involved when it comes to makeup and special effects, practical effects in particular, in horror. Though you don't watch a lot of horror on the regular, we have been roommates for a whole year now. So what's a movie, (laughs) what is a horror movie in the last year or two even that you saw that just really stuck out to you? Okay, I think a horror movie that I saw in the last two years that really stuck out to me was... Oh, shit. Let me think of one. (laughs) You got it. You got it. Hmm. Well, I want to think of one that we saw in the last year together as roommates. Okay. Um... I really like Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Ooh, that one was fun, yeah. Yeah. I love anything with, like, a little bit of humor in it. Yeah. And that one, like, I think, like, if the way I'm... Spoiler alert. Well, I won't spoil it, but, I mean, if you haven't seen it by now... What are you doing? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. What are you doing? But, like, the way Pete Davidson dies, it's just, like, so fucking stupid. Oh, and, like, yeah. everybody... Like, the fact that everything happened for, like, pretty much nothing. No reason at all. And I, I just love that. I love, because <laughs> I love the way it ended. No, yeah, and I think there's, like, a difference in a movie ending stupidly, but not on purpose, you know? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, well, that was a stupid ending, mm-hmm. but it mm-hmm. wasn't intended for it to be a stupid ending versus something that is intentional. I just love an intentional movie. Yeah. Like, th- that was a stupid ending, but <laughs> that's because that was the whole point, and it made it made the viewing experience fun, especially when you watch it again. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, I know how it ends, so then to watch all of this chaos unfold and knowing that it's just off of nothing, yeah. it's like, this is a mess. This is an absolute shit show. Yeah, yeah. Um, didn't you say you watched Barbarian and you liked it or you haven't watched Barbarian? I did watch Barbarian and that was going to be the answer to your next question. For, oh, a movie that you wish you could watch again? Yes, because I went in blind. Like, I knew absolutely, I didn't even hear about it coming out. Yeah. When, I watched it at a uh, not a Christmas party, a Halloween party uh-huh. when I was visiting some friends back in Michigan, and like they were like, "Yeah, we're just gonna put this on. Nobody knows what it's about," and everybody was fucked up. They're yeah. watching this movie, and we thought it was gonna go one way, and then it completely goes another, and it's just like, everything about it. It's just it's, it's a wild card. I wish I could watch it again yeah. for the first time. That movie. I mean, I don't think. No one anticipated for it to have as much of an impact as it did. Because, like, <laughs> yeah. the movie really, non-horror movie lovers and horror movies al- horror movie lovers alike all can say good things about Barbarian. Um, and it was very much a surprise. It's like, and not even just the plot itself, but the casting, too. Or you have, which we've talked about this movie so much on this podcast alone. Like, everyone, I'm telling you, everyone brings this movie up. Um, but, like, you have Bill Skarsgård, who's casted as the main guy. And you're like, you think he's going to be the villain because of everything he's played before this. Mm-hmm. But then he's actually the first to go. And so abruptly, too. I know. And the person you expect to not be the worst is Justin Long. Because every role he's played is always, like, the nice guy, the final boy, the scream king. But he's the, he's the one who's actually the villain. And, wow. And now he's in his villain era. All Good around. Him. Good for him. You need to have a well-rounded existence. You do. You do. You need to have a big portfolio. Yeah. I love the final girl in that movie, too. I love that oh, she, yeah. like, some she does everything wrong, but somehow 
is fine at the end of the movie. Yeah. She survives, right? I haven't seen it since the first time I watched she it. She does. Okay. She does survive, um, and it's because of the thing saves her. The thing saves her. The, the mother creature. The mother. Mother saves her. <laughs> <laughs> mother. Um, all right. So, now that we have our foundation of uh, horror down with you specifically, now we will get into what we came here to talk about. And there, while there's not much of a difference between horror games and horror movies, there is a difference, especially because a game like Five Nights at Freddy's is so simple yet so effective. Um, it came out in 2014, and it was a ri- original. Oh my gosh, why can I not talk? I think it's my sinuses. I'm like, <laughs> it was initially released as a demo in July of 2014 before it was completely released on Steam the following month. As most horror media, though, this is the first piece of the Freddy Fazbear story to release. It is not the first in the timeline. It's actually the sequel to Five Nights at Freddy's 2, and it's the prequel to Five Nights at Freddy's 3. You know, you know how that goes. Halloween, same thing. It all gets confusing. Like, just just come out with them in order. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's kind of, like, part of the game's mystique yeah i I guess because like that was the whole thing with it it was very simple and it kind of offered like little bits and pieces information yeah here and there but it left a lot for players to kind of like deliberate and like come up with with theories about so i think that's like part of the reason why it got so big because like well i mean also like a bunch of like middle school kids were playing it and you know how middle schoolers are scariest game ever scariest game ever you know that kind of obsession you only feel once in your life Mm -hmm. with with fandoms and yeah that's that's so fair and i think also i mean he who shall not be named mr scott scott coffin is it coffin i think it's coffin i thought it was cawthorn but is there an r there i thought so but maybe not like sherbert and sherbert sherbert um, but I think as he, when he came out with the first one, he obviously had no idea it would get as popular, um, and it would grow as much as it did. And so I, it gave him the space to develop the story just as things went along too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think there was, I think looking at it from an outsider perspective, it almost looks like there was a collaborative sort of energy about it mm-hmm. um, because the which Five Nights at Freddy's 2 didn't come out like they came out in 2014 the same year um, so like there wasn't much time in between that but as the uh, like as the older ones get out um, then it's like the theories come out Scott Coffin Scott <laughs> Scott Coffin brings out another game so it's like things are just starting to align and align and align mm-hmm. between the fandom and the creator until he dips. Yeah. And do you want to go ahead and spill your fat, spill your tea? Well, I mean, <laughs> this man, he he's an interesting guy because originally he started as like an indie game developer for Christian games because he's he's very religious. Um, he started with games like this game called Noah's Ark. Mm. Noah's Ark. I probably played that game in Sunday school. <laughs> and The Pilgrim's Progress. Oh. Based on the John Bunyan allegory, were an intensely personal reflection of his Christian beliefs. Wow. Yeah. So, um, interesting, interesting factoids there. He is conservative, Republican, pro-life guy. Um, and he has... The four biggest problems. No, he's... Republican, conservative, pro-life guy (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and he has donated his money to donald trump and other gop uh people and yeah the gop people i couldn't find anything on this but allegedly and i wouldn't be surprised you know fiona was just telling me about this but like him getting mad at like gay fan art drawn <laughs> of the Five Nights at Freddy's characters because of his Christian values. And you so, know what? I mean, thing. quite frankly, I would probably have problems with the gay fan art, not because of my values, because I value gay 
gays. But <laughs> I would have more so of a problem of just, like, it's borderline furry. And mm. I don't support that. Oh, okay. So you're coming out right now. I'm coming out. Like, I... Uh, as anti anti furry anti furry anti furry because I see. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to oppose you on that one. Well, I mean, look at your look at your past, Carl. I'm I'm not a furry though. I was <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a I was never a furry. No, but look at the never... French communities you've been a part of, FNAF. Oh, I thought you said French. <laughs> French. <laughs> Mademoiselle. 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 Okay, FNAF. What else? FNAF. Name another one. Fortnite. Fortnite doesn't count. Mm, Fortnite does count. No. Furries play Fortnite. A lot of people play Fortnite. Yep. So do furries. Oh, furries do a lot of things. <laughs> furries are a part of our community. There is no F in LGBTQIA+. One could argue that. One could argue that the plus is just an F cut in half. I saw a very provocative in- image on a MatPat video last night. Of um, Foxy in between, s- <laughs> in between someone's legs, and this was drawn. This was just art, but I'm like, that's that's the thing. Like, if I was Scott, if I was Scotty, and I saw that, I'd be like, okay, we're taking down every single game, yeah, that I've ever created because now you've lost it, <laughs> you've lost your minds, <laughs> um, because Foxy does not deserve that. Also, in my mind, Foxy is not a girl. And Foxy and that art was a girl. And now we're just assuming gender. I Was Foxy a girl in that, in that fan art? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, she had a bow. Well, you know, oh, okay. And blush. <laughs> right, that, yeah, okay, that's like... She was very feminized, like, like eyelashes. Uh, there were eyelashes, blush, and a bow. How to, how to draw gender if you're a bad artist. Bow. <laughs> Bow and lash. Bow and lashes. <laughs> um, now, this game uh, was described as a fantastic example of how cleverness in design and subtlety can be used to make an experience terrifying. The simplicity of its horror and the less is more approach to its design was its most notable characteristics. Now, you may be asking me, Avery, how do you play this game? Let me tell you. Because I have played it, though it's only been a few months and I haven't touched it since. It is a point-and-click survival game from the perspective of a night guard on shift at a run-down pizzeria. Uh, When it says point-and-click, it means you literally point the mouse and you click. There are four animatronics similar to Chuck E. Cheese who are stationed in the dining room because they are performers. However, they don't remain there for long with the use of the hallway lights and security cameras, your objective is to survive the night without letting them get inside the office or losing power. Because if they get inside the office, they're going to eat you. If you lose power, then you can't track them, and then they, they're going to eat you, nonetheless. So this game, and as more came out over the years, a bunch of lore, a bunch of stories, a bunch of theory just came out. Because you know, when it comes... When it comes to a community, a fandom, um, one thing they will do is theorize. And as Matt Pad said, that's just a theory. A game theory. A game theory. A gay theory. <laughs> as more games developed uh, the ongoing storyline, each one debunked popular theories and added details that the previous games left out. So, as we talk about the game and then later we talk about the movie... Um, I thought that it would be better to just look at Five Nights at Freddy's 1, 2, and 3 because those are the ones that matter the most in terms of the movie um, and the storyline that was built by Blumhouse. So, for Five Nights at Freddy's 1, uh, we learned foundational information regarding Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria. The restaurant saw its demise after a widespread boycott in response to the disappearance and possible murder of five children at the hands of William Afton, who is part owner of uh, Freddie Fazbear's Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Is it Fazbear Entertainment? Yeah. Fazbear, yeah. Fazbear. Um, it was rumored that the bodies of the children were stuffed into the animatronics, which are named Freddie, Bonnie, Chica, and Foxy. There were five children, though, right? Yeah, that'll be important. Remember that. (laughs) So, FNAF 2, as mentioned before, this game chronologically takes place before Five Nights at Freddy's 1, and it's set in a different restaurant of the food chain. 
The same four animatronics show face, but we're also introduced to Balloon Boy, who is more passive than the stage performers. This time, though, you dive deeper into the lore via Atari-style minigames. Through them, you learn about a sinister purple figure who perpetuates these murderous crimes. Otherwise known as Purple Guy, he becomes a crucial <laughs> key to the lore. Then we get to Five Nights at Freddy's 3. A new animatronic is introduced as Springtrap. You learn that this is created as a result of William Afton, or Purple Guy, using the empty rabbit suit to hide from the ghosts of his victims. Right Through the subsequent so game releases, you find out more tragedies involving Freddy Fazbear and William Afton. Now, there are so many more, like, extensions of these original animatronics. You have Golden Freddy, you have Golden Bonnie, you have... Um, Circus Baby, you have Circus Freddy, you have, what's the one who's, like, really cool and, like, has a guitar and... Glamrock Freddy? Glamrock Freddy. <laughs> like, there's so many different extensions to these original, uh, four animatronics, but in the movie, you're only introduced to the four, and also you do get glimpses of Balloon Boy. Now, Five Nights at Freddy's The Movie, um, came out in 2023 October and it follows Mike who believes the dream theory can help him solve the murder of what happened to his missing brother Garrett when they were children the older brother pops sleeping pills almost nightly hoping a combination of deep sleep and lucid dreaming can uncover buried memories of the day Garrett was abducted from a family outing to the woods after the kidnapping incident Mike's family falls apart leaving him the sole guardian of his sister Abby in order to retain custody of Abby and keep her from Five Nights at Freddy's worst character, Mike needs a steady job, which is where Freddy Fazbear's pizzeria comes in. Mike's supposed, Mike's supposed career counselor is actually William Afton, the co-founder of Freddy's and Garrett's abductor. Recognizing Mike's last name, he suggests the struggling older boy take the nighttime security guard job at the abandoned pizzeria. While there, Mike dodges seemingly homicidal animatronics, learns about both Afton's serial murders of children, and solves the mystery of Garrett's disappearance. This movie was directed by Emma Tammy. It's starring Josh Hutcherson. We are currently in a Josh Hutcherson resurrection, and I'm loving it. Elizabeth Lale, who was in You, season one, and Matthew Lillard! Yeah! Yeah, my boy Maddie! <laughs> um, this movie had... A $20 million budget, but it skyrocketed that in the box office with $264.6 million. Oh, damn. My favorite fact about this production is that it used real animatronics from Jim Henson's company, who also created the Muppets. Yeah. And we love love intersectionality. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Critics had mostly bad things to say in regards to the lack of horror elements and the irregular pacing and tone. They felt the true thrills of the indie horror game weren't properly translated to the screen. However, I I want to say fans adored it for the sake of the fan service given. There were so many Easter eggs, so many little things that like if you just weren't in the Five Nights at Freddy's fandom community world like you wouldn't have gotten it i didn't get it the only the only way i can say what i just said right now is because i looked into it after (laughs) after the fact but like i just felt like it was so clear watching it that it was made for the fans and i think that that's important because five nights at freddy's has had such a loyal and strong fan base since 2014 thanks to some of the creators like markiplier matt pat Whoever else is out there. Yeah, lots of people. Jacksepticeye, Dream Drums. I, I don't know. If, I mean, I don't remember if they actually played it, but... Yeah, they talked about it. They did. They did. And they helped. They helped it grow. <laughs> um, and that's one thing that Megan Navarro of Bloody Disgusting talked about. She was saying how the movie is for fans, and it's very clear that fans will be happy with it, but it's not a movie that will be easily enjoyed by, like, avid horror lovers because it, it's PG-13. It doesn't have the gore that you would want it to as an avid horror movie Five Nights at Freddy's fan. Like, there's definitely a, like, a Venn diagram here of, like, horror movie lovers, Five Nights at Freddy's fans, and then 
horror movie lovers on one side, Five mm-hmm. Nights at Freddy's fans on the other side. You know what I'm saying? Like, as Definitely. someone as someone who doesn't like horror but you love Five Nights at Freddy's, this movie was probably fun because it did have an interesting tone. Mm-hmm. And I think if they had tried to be rated R and, like, actually horror, I feel like it would have borderline camp almost. Like, it, I don't think it would have been what we would want it to be. Yeah, I don't really think that you can make a movie like that. Well, first of all, I don't think you could make a movie like that rated R because a lot of the fan base is children. No, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, like, I do agree, I guess, that, like, the movie didn't really fully encapsulate, like, what it's like to play it. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of expecting more of that, like, sense of urgency, like, oh, my God, That's like, true, the yeah. animatronics are coming after you. But at the same time, like, the the fans' attachment to the characters, mm-hmm. like, how close... Because it, it's really interesting, because these animatronics are supposed to be really scary. Right. But, you know, a lot of the kids that grew up with it, like, mm-hmm. form these, like, special attachments to the characters, and, like, yeah. they just love them so much, and, like, that's why they make fan art of them, and, like, with uh, Security Breach, the newest Five Nights at Freddy's mm-hmm. game, it kind of took on more of, like, Freddy was more of, like, a comforting, like... Oh, yeah. Sort of guide to mm-hmm. you rather than somebody to be feared. Yeah. And I think that sort of translated, like, into the into the feel of the movie a little bit where, mm-hmm. like, the characters were there to help. And they're, like, these tortured souls. Because they are. Like, yeah. Because, like, in, in the first game, you don't really... Even in the second game, I guess, you don't really see... Well, no, the second game is the one where you see the mini games, right? Yeah, that's the first like introduction of the mini games. Yeah, that's kind of where you start to unravel like how the kids died mm-hmm. and like how the animatronics became what they are. So like yeah, but like man, I remember when the first game came out, everybody was like, "Oh, it's, it's so scary." <laughs> <laughs> These characters are so scary and like everybody fucking loves them. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. No, and I I mean, I thought it was fun to because at the end of the day, well, yeah, we've already touched on this anyways, but at the end of the day, these are children inside of animatronics, mm-hmm. so, like, they are going to act like children, and, I mean, we're throwing our disbelief out of the window when it comes to children haunting animatronics. Why are we throwing our disbelief out of the window? Why aren't we throwing it out of, out of the window when it comes to these animatronics acting like children you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying like they're gonna like drawing they're gonna want to build forts they're gonna want to do all this stuff that abby was like doing with them and i think it was it was precious and i think abby and the and piper who played her made it even more just like adorable Mm -hmm. because it was like i mean yeah they got their child their childhoods robbed from them and like abby is kind of helping them like process through it and in the end they were trying to cause harm to her, but not because they wanted to, but because they were being controlled by William Afton still. So, um, and you see that whenever she, like, draws the picture and she puts it up and she shows them, you can see that everything that they believed or everything they thought they knew is suddenly gone. Mm-hmm. And they know the truth and they no longer want to cause harm to Abby because they know that they're just doing what William Afton did to them at the end of the day. Yeah. Um... So I, I definitely thought that for a, for a movie with, for for an adaptation of the video game, um, with like the certain demographic it has, with the like history it has, and just the various other elements that it's juggling, I thought it was fun. I thought it was a fun movie. And I think that if I were to be a part of the Five Nights at Freddy's fandom before I watched the movie... I think I would have had such a great time. And I can tell everyone in the theater, we both saw yeah. it at, like, an advanced screening. And everyone who was there were huge Five Nights at Freddy's fans. And so you could tell you could tell that just by their reactions, especially, I think the biggest one that I remember was when Matt Pat came on the screen. And <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't get it at the time. I was like, who is this guy and why is he talking so much? Um, and then he was like, well, that's just a theory. And everyone started cheering. And I'm like... <laughs> That's just a sentence to me. I don't know what you're talking about. But, like, I can see the... There's nostalgia in it, and there's, um... There's just, like, 
memories, but also an emotional attachment to it all that I think Blumhouse, I think Blumhouse tackled it very well. And I, I truly don't know if I'd want to see it rated R, to be honest. Yeah, I just, I don't think it would, because a movie like that can't take itself too seriously. Right, you know? yeah. Otherwise, it'll just kind of be sort of ridiculous. But, like, going back to what you said about the um, animatronics, like, killing Will Afton at the end, mm-hmm. I thought that was a pretty good parallel to the second game and the mini-games where it kind of shows you, like, the progression of what has happened mm-hmm. and, like, where it shows... Um, well, because did the bunny show up in the second game? It did, right? Mm, I think it did in, in the minigame. I think the bunny shows up in the third one, at least from... That's when we're introduced to Springtrap, the bunny. Okay. Which is in the third game through the minigames. Okay. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure there was a scene where um, they all kind of chase him and corner him, and then he jumps into the suit and he's just crushed. You can see all the blood like coming out of yeah. him and he dies. But that didn't really happen in the movie mm-hmm. like i mean you would think like yeah he's fucking dead he's got mm-hmm. these like metal rods like sinking into his ribs and lungs and puncturing yeah. him but at the end of it he was still kind of hanging on a little yeah. bit like he didn't technically die and that kind of left the movie open-ended well and i thought Springtrap was william afton's ghost the way that like the way that Bonnie is the ghost of the children of the child that's stuck inside of that animatronic. So I thought that's what Springtrap was. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the game, whenever he like he's using the suit to hide from the children, but the spring locks like actually end up killing him the way that they do in the movie. Mm-hmm. They're not killing him, but like they do to him what they do in the movie. And then he ends up dying, but similar to all the other animatronics, he's just stuck in that suit forever. Yeah. And I don't get why anyone would come up with spring locks in the first place for a, for a suit. Who, who can say? I don't get it, but <laughs> that's not for me to get anyways. Um, more, more of my thoughts on the movie, though, overall. Um, I thought that, I mean, obviously... I don't think the games should have given personalities to the animatronics, but I liked that the movie did. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it made, especially with what you were saying in terms of fans finding different animatronics to get attached to and like loving and being fans of those individual um, animatronics, I thought that this movie did a good job of like kind of showing the different um, types of characters. And I mean, you see that in Mike's dream, the first time that he kind of runs into all of the kids, you don't know that those are the kids that are in the suits, unless I would say, you know, the lore or, you know, the story of Five Nights at Freddy's, William Afton, all of that. But also, I mean, the kids were, the kids had certain things about them that represented the animatronics that they are stuck inside. So like Mm -hmm. the kid who's inside of Bonnie was wearing rabbit ears. Um, the kid who's inside Foxy, it has like a hook for a hand. The kid who's inside Freddy is just wearing Brown, whatever. And then Chica, the girl who's in Chica is, I think she's like, she has like a cupcake on her shirt or something. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like, there's little indicators. And I thought that that was putting a face to the animatronics helped to characterize them a little bit more. Yeah. And I mean, well, we'll talk about it later, but I do have my favorite animatronics. <laughs> Can't wait to hear it. <laughs> um, and then the, the other thing that I thought about was, uh, it was, they made it kind of obvious that Vanessa, played by Elizabeth Lale, um, they made it obvious that Vanessa was William Afton's daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, it really came to no surprise because she just she just had this really weird fascination and knowledge and also attachment to not just Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria, but to the animatronics themselves. Mm-hmm. And she just had, like, this excitement or, like, light about her whenever she would talk about the pizzeria um, to Mike. And it was just, it was off-putting. <laughs> but, like, whenever it was revealed that it was supposed to be 
like one of the big twists it's like it, there wasn't there wasn't a twist yeah i agree i mean like the movie was really fun to see in the theaters with yeah. everybody's reactions but like watching it at home by yourself i mean again it's a kids movie that's yeah. fine but it's like very much like oh this is like if Five Nights at Freddy's were a Disney Channel original movie. <laughs> so fair, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and something else that I kind of wish that they didn't do, um, whenever Matthew Lillard was casted as William Afton, they publicized the hell out of it. Mm. Like, they were like, Matthew Lillard has been casted as William Afton in Five Nights at Freddy's. Mm. I'm like, everyone knows who that's supposed to be. So then when he shows up as the career counselor, it's like, we know we know what you're up to. Yeah, we know, you're not slick. Um, <laughs> so I definitely feel like the even if the the horror elements weren't as strong as they as people wanted them to be, I felt like the surprise elements could have been a little bit more could have been stronger, and they weren't. And maybe that would have made it more of a mm, not necessarily intense watch, but just more of like an emotionally involved watch, I For guess. Sure. Um. So. Beyond what we thought subjectively about the movie, um, how does the movie align with the game and its lore? I feel like we've, we talked about it already a little bit, mm-hmm. but was, was there anything that stuck out to you in terms of like what you know about the games, what you know about the minigame lore versus mm-hmm. what they chose to depict in the movie? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because, um, I mean, like, going into this, watching it for the first time, I, I had only played, like, up to the second game yeah. years ago. And then I played it again with you guys, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, around Halloween time, and that was really fun. Fun little throwback moment. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess, like, after watching watching theory videos and, <laughs> and doing more research for this episode... Yeah. Um, Definitely, like, the thing I said before about the kids sort of surrounding him and, like, mm-hmm. him being, like, shoved into the suit and yeah. dying stuck out. Um, I am very curious about, like, Mike's character and, like, mm-hmm. how he fits in. Yeah. And his brother Garrett and even Vanessa, too. Because right. Vanessa, again, in, like, Security Breach, mm-hmm. Vanessa is the name of the security guard at the Pizzaplex yeah. in the new... Um, in the security breach one, I don't know when that one's supposed to take place or mm-hmm. if even it's even part of the same universe. Yeah, but I know that's a thing. I think the kid's name is Michael. Yeah, in that game. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I don't know if there's like some kind of loose connection <coughs> there. Um, but that that would be interesting to look into more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with Mike, um, I know that the um, in one of the games, the person who's playing Michael, his last name is Afton, like he's Michael Afton, mm-hmm. William's son. So I know that some of the theories are like, no, no wonder the animatronics are coming after you. Like you are the son of their murderer. <laughs> um, but then Mike, like the Mike in this movie isn't related to Michael or to William Afton. Um, but I think like. That's one thing that I'm very curious about. I think one thing that watching the theory videos that we did, um, we learned about the dream theory, mm-hmm. and which what Matt Pat was talking about, he was bringing true crime into it, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how to feel about that. To be honest, I was like, Maddie, I'm I can't support that part of it. Yeah. Um, but like, in the end, what he was saying was the security guard of Five Nights at Freddy's one. Um, the theory is that he is having, it's just a reoccurring dream or, or a nightmare, should we say. Like, the security guard is the person who killed all of these children, and so now he's just having a reoccurring dream, lucid dream, um, that's kind of haunting him of what, of his actions. So, that was when the first game came out, that was before the second one came out, so MatPat didn't, you know know all the things we know now but the dream theory and just the basis of it continued to evolve over time and so in um sorry i'm like running out of breath jesus 
Um, so Mike in the film uses this theory and a book by the same name to lucid dream and find clues about his brother's disappearance. It's scarily similar to the experience of playing the game and picking up on various clues you may have missed your previous time playing because each time Mike goes into these dreams and looks for different things that he may have missed the last time he was dreaming. Um, and as you play the game more and more, you like that was something that I think Scott Coffin was talking about when he was like, yes, the game is very simple and kind of basic, but also you do discover more and more in the background. And I think that's part of what makes it so tense of a game is that like you start to find these little Easter eggs and clues and you're trying to become a detective all while trying to survive. Um, but another thing that I personally loved is Golden Freddy. Um, after Mike's second dream in the pizzeria and the electricity begins acting awry, uh, you can see It's Me written on a whiteboard in the security office in between the light flickers, which is similar to the way they do in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever in the game, it's like, it's me, it's usually Golden Freddy. Like, you don't know if he's going to pop up. You don't know where he's at. You don't know what's happening. Um, but also... Golden Freddy makes an appearance for perhaps the glorious part of the movie. And when I say glorious, I don't mean what you want me to mean. Because <laughs> it's not gory at all. Um, but for the reenactment of The Bite of 87. <laughs> or should I say Bite of 83? I don't know. I can never keep track. Yeah. Um, so those are the two that kind of like stuck out to me in terms of the lore and the game. But it's clear that Blumhouse is trying to create something new while also giving that fan service so i you know me not being a strong fan or anything i don't mind i don't mind that there's not like that it's not 100 percent accurate to the game but we started to talk about it a little bit in terms of vanessa and like how she is involved with the original storyline how mike is involved with the original storyline And so there were a few questions that were left unanswered as it pertains to the story that the film is building and the lore that we know about Five Nights at Freddy's. And, you know, Garrett is one of them where I'm like, how does he exactly fit into all of this? Um, When we were talking about the Five Nights at Freddy's 1, the first game in 2014, William Apton killed five children, which is the same in the movie, but you only see four animatronics in the movie, you do see four, but then Cupcake is makes five. So it's like, where's Garrett? <laughs> Where does Garrett fit into this? Is he the Cupcake? Or is there another character that has yet to make an appearance? Because they did sign on for a three-movie deal. Yeah. And Josh Hutcherson confirmed that there is a sequel coming. Um, between that and then also, was William Apton ever caught like for his crimes in the film because how is he just how is he just out having jobs and i don't know well i guess he, ch- he changed his name so oh, yeah. he's there but another thing i was curious about though is like what what state it takes place in because i know like a lot of it's like oh go to nebraska but i assumed that it was like oh they probably took a family trip out out of state oh yeah to go camping or something but mm-hmm. how would this guy have found like his his brother that's true like mike's brother out in the woods and then they just happen to be from the same town yeah and i don't know no that i never really thought about it that way but that definitely doesn't make sense um unless i mean yeah because vanessa made it sound like nebraska was so like outlandish in the way of like we're in new york if we were to go to, I don't know, Wyoming. It's like, why Wyoming? Yeah. That's so far from you. Um, and that's how Vanessa made it sound when she like posed that question. But I'm like, the only other way that it would make sense is if Nebraska was just like over the state border from them. Yeah. To where it's like, they... But also, that's another thing, is I would think that these kids that William Afton murdered were kids that frequent frequented freddy fazbear's but 
Mike showed no recognition or care for Freddie Fazbear's, mm-hmm. but I'm like, surely Garrett went there. Otherwise, how did William Afton know right. about him? Because all of the children disappeared essentially from Freddie Fazbear's, except for Garrett. Yeah. I think it would have been cool if they did something similar to the game, like the where the first kid dies mm-hmm. outside. Because, I mean, I guess, like, that's kind of a parallel. This kid died outside of yeah. the Freddy Fazbear's, like, franchise buildings. Mm-hmm. So, but he was, like, literally, like, right outside the window as opposed to being, like, in the woods in Nebraska. No, yeah. So there's, like, a little more of a correlation there. And I feel like that makes a little more sense. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that kid could be the the puppet from the second game, even. Garrett could be the puppet from mm-hmm. the next movie. And that is the theory that stands out to me the most in terms of how the film and the game align. And, I mean, when you look it up on the internet, most of the movie theories that come up are about Garrett because I think that is the biggest unopen, unopen-ended question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, open-ended, whatever. Um, is where does where does Mike and Garrett fit into the existing timeline of what we know about William Afton and um, Henry Emily, who was also the co-founder of Fazbear Entertainment, and, you know, where is Garrett now, all of those things. And so I think my favorite theory about it um, that would open up a lot of possibility narratively for the movies um, is if Mike and Garrett Schmidt are Henry Emily's children. Now the last name, don't know where that came from. <laughs> um, perhaps there's a name change, but this would also validate the theory that Garrett's soul remains in the puppet. Mm-hmm. At first, we were thinking that it was Balloon Boy. I remember us talking about it after watching it. We were thinking maybe that's why Balloon Boy is just in here all the time. Yeah. It's because it's actually Garrett. Um, and there's a one of the theories does revolve around Garrett being Balloon Boy and how he's always just popping up and like, those are the biggest jump scares in the movie, is yeah. Balloon Boy. Um, and how he's always popping up on Mike, and Mike is like, oh my god, like, he's getting so annoyed. And I remember reading the specific theory in it being like, imagine it's just, like, your little brother just, like, popping up to scare you, just, like, <laughs> playing a joke on you. And I'm like, that would make sense, but I think the puppet makes more sense for me if we're thinking that, like, Mike and Garrett are Henry and Emily's children, because... For one, there are hints in the end credits to the introduction of the puppet in the upcoming sequel. The um, song that plays whenever you, like, wind up the jukebox, or not jukebox, the, oh my god, Jack in the Box, Mm -hmm. yes, whenever you wind that up for when the puppet is, like, about to do a jump scare for you in the game, um, was it, like, Grandfather Clock is the song that plays? Yeah. And then in the end credits, that song also played. So people are like, oh, well, maybe in the sequel, that's, like a hint that the puppet could be coming. Um, and in the games, the puppet is where Henry um, Henry's daughter, Charlotte, resides, which is William Afton's first victim. Mm-hmm. In the movie, we're, I mean, we're made to believe that Garrett was Afton's first victim. Um, so if that is the case, Garrett could be taking the place of Charlotte, a little gender swap, and yeah, there we go. Or it could be, I don't know, because... So the movie takes place in 2000, and then Mike is supposed to be, what, like, his late 20s, early 30s, something like that? Yeah, I'd say, like, mid to late 20s. Mid to late 20s? Yeah. Um, And then the flashbacks happen. He looks like he has to be, like, 11 or 12. Mm Mm-hmm. And that happens in... That would have to be in the 80s. They look like they were dressed in the 80s, too. Right, in the 80s. So then that's kind of, like, while all of, like, the Fredbear, the Fazbear Entertainment is, like, happening. So I I guess it could be, like, his first victim. I don't know. Yeah, because also the red airplane, whenever you see a picture of... um, the, of Golden Bonnie, mm-hmm. who William Afton often wears in the movie, um, or, well, when Freddy Fazbear's is open and running, you see a picture of Vanessa, her dad, and she's holding a red airplane, which is the same red airplane that Garrett disappeared with. Mm. So, if that's also aligning the timeline any 
any way, um, then that could, that could make a little bit more sense, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, either way though, I don't know. That's, I think it's, it's cool that we don't know where the sequel will be. Like we have, there's no, no one can predict it to be honest. No one knows. Yeah, because now, like, what's his new job going to be? Like, is right. he going to... Like, there's no way that it's going to be... Because the second game happens before the first one, right? Yeah. So, I, yeah, I really don't know, like, where the where the second movie will go. That's true. Especially if they, like, even if they were to recreate the... Or maybe they jump timelines. Because don't, don't one of the... One of the games takes place in, like, like a... Well, like, okay, one of the games, it's after uh, one of the restaurants burned down mm-hmm. and everything in there burns down. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the movie, it didn't burn down, but, like, it started to, like, crumble, <laughs> essentially. Um, so maybe, like, that'll be a jumping, a jumping point for the sequel. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's interesting that... William Afton, he saw Mike's name on, like, you know, on his career, his resume, whatever, and, like, instantly recognized him. So I'm like, sure, he could recognize the last name because that was, that could have been his first victim. But I'm also like, surely he does not remember. Like, he does not remember first and last names of the kids he killed. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe that's another reason why the Henry-Emily theory is plausible because it's like, this is the son of my former business partner he's the brother of my business partner he's the brother of the kid who I killed who was also the son of my business partner (laughs) so I think that could and then him you know making him a security guard I think that could I don't know there's potential there I I see it because I mean otherwise like why is this guy in particular like significant to William Afton you know? know yeah I'm just glad that they didn't make him and Vanessa, like, love interests. There was a weird energy there. And, like, I feel like typically... Oh, they're gonna... They're gonna fuck. I don't they, want that. I, I hate to tell you this. <laughs> I just, but they will, probably. I just don't want to because something... I think it's just because, though they are most definitely the same age, I think, like, her being a cop and all put together and everything, <laughs> and then him being a disheveled, like, millennial. But Hollywood loves that trope. She's the manic pixie dream girl of the movie. Think about it. She just shows up out of fucking nowhere. She's like, oh, I know where all the things, like, she's mysterious. She's like, oh, your wound. Let me dress that for you. I'm an EMT. We know nothing about her other than the fact that she's a cop and that her dad is William Afton. She simply exists... For Josh, Josh Hutcherson, right to like. But we don't out what's know if the on. sequel will give us more. Like, I will hope she so. remain a manic pixie dream girl, manic pixie dream cop, or will she? Wait, <laughs> that should be a movie. No, manic no, pixie dream. Because there's also a horror movie called Maniac Cop. Maniac Cop. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, so and it's a cop who literally. Well, so it's real life. It exactly, <laughs> exactly. So manic pixie dream cop. Um, now to end this conversation is a little bit more of a fun question. Did you have a favorite animatronic in the game? And is it the same animatronic that you enjoyed from the movie or is it different? Hmm. In the game, that's a great question because I was like, I mean, I've always been kind of like a wimp. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Especially when I was 14, so I think, like, they were all kind of scary to me, but, like, Foxy was probably the scariest oh my God. one yeah. to me, um, just because of the way that he, like, sprints down. <laughs> yeah. But, like, he's pretty cool. I guess Foxy would have to be my favorite from the ga- games, mm-hmm. but, like, in the movie, I really like Freddy. Okay. There's something very comforting about Freddy, and that could just be because of, like, Security breach coming yeah. out pretty recently, and like Vanessa, him. Vanessa, I, I, I'm doing hot girl shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Freddy, just Freddy. Yeah, basically, he's just a little, he's just a little fuzzy bear. Yeah. <laughs> um, I 
I don't know. I think, okay, well, in the game, I love Bonnie because Bonnie's just, like, she just loves to play with you. Yeah. She, she's a she to me for some reason. She even is though, she. Even though in the, in the movie, oh. she's not. She's not? She's a, she? a boy. She's a little black boy. He's, they're a little. <laughs> Wait a minute. They're a little black boy in the movie. I thought he was Bonnie. Yeah, what did I say? Oh, wait, I thought you were talking about Chica. No. My bad. <laughs> Chica, no, Chica is a she. Yeah, Chica no. is she. I'm like, have you seen the fan? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I don't want to. Ugh. Um. No, yeah, Bonnie is my favorite from the game because, like, she just likes to play play around with you. Like, that's literally all it is. Um. It's so funny whenever, you know, like, she pops up in the door, you close it, and then you open it again, and she's still standing there. And then she disappears, and then you don't know where she's at. And then all of a sudden, she's in the storage closet, about to pounce, or, like, her head's twitching, and she's twitching forever. And you're like, Bonnie, are you going to do it, or are you going to not? Like, come (laughs) on, stop playing around. In the movie, I love that they created this, because technically, I guess, in, like, the game lore, Bonnie is supposed to be best friends with Freddy. Mm -hmm. That's, like, her connection to Freddy. Um, but in the movie, Chica and Bonnie have this sort of allyship. And I've told you, like, my favorite part of the movie is whenever the robbers are, like, going through, trashing the place, and then Chica and Bonnie are standing by the vent, and you can see in the security camera, they put the cupcake in the vent, close it, look at the camera, and squint. (laughs) And I'm like, no, because yes, like, personality, come on. (laughs) Um, so I feel like I love them both. I love them both in the movie. Chica in the game, like, definitely falls in the background. Freddy is the scariest in the game. Freddy is the least scariest in the movie. Foxy remains to be the scariest. And there's this one scene with Foxy. I like what they did with Foxy, particularly. I feel like he was kind of a star in his own way in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, so you see... The kid, he like, he's like outside of the shadow of Pirate's Cove and he's standing and he's like looking um, out or whatever. And then he falls back into the shadows and then when you see him again, he's foxy. So it's like you see this direct relationship between the kid and the animatronic that they're like kind of assigned to. And I loved that part because I was like, that was clean. (laughs) That was a clean shot right there. Oh, yeah. And of course, Foxy was scary in the, like, I remember the first... The first, like, moment that you start to think Mike is going to be meeting them soon, Foxy is the first one that's kind of, like, lurking in the shadows. And I'm like, oh, God. I love him for that. He has his own autonomy. No, he does. I do wish that he would have ran. Yeah. Because I don't think he... That's his signature. Yeah, I don't think he ran enough. And I did wish there was more scatting. (laughs) Because <laughs> there wasn't enough. Ba-dum, ba-dum. Ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. Like, there was not enough. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, no, I did have a fun time with it. And uh, I can't wait to see what they do with the sequel, to be honest. I mean, I love Matthew Lillard. I love Josh Hutcherson. So I'm going to watch it regardless <laughs> to support them. Right. But, yeah. I am intrigued about the second movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I have no idea what they're going to do. No. There's no telling. I don't remember what I rated this on Letterboxd. I want to say I probably did, like, three. I want to say it was, like, a three out of five stars. Three out of five? Mm-hmm. That's fair. I think that's what I did. Yeah. Um, and if you want to see that rating and review, because I, I think I probably reviewed it. I don't remember. Um, you can find me on Letterboxd at Avery C-O-F. Now... We won't talk about Carla's Letterboxd because... <laughs> I'm really bad at it. They are just not... They don't treat it the way they should. <laughs> um, but Carla is a very talented tattoo artist, and I'm sure that all you horror freaks out there could come to them with your horror tattoo needs, and they will fulfill you with their great tentacle art. <laughs> oh, God. oh, man. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. The you tentacles all. again. The tentacles. No, I'm kidding. That's just <laughs> how I perceive their art style. But they are very talented. Make sure you check out their work. Go ahead and uh, drop your your handle. Oh, shucks. Okay. Um, my handle is Carla V Tattoos on Instagram. Carla with a C, V as in Victor, 
Tattoos. Heck yeah. Hell yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> um, they tattoo here in New York, so if you ever find yourself in the tri-state area <laughs> um, <laughs> or you are a resident of New York, yeah, make sure you check them out and uh, get some work done by them because it's extraordinary. Aw, thanks, Extraordinary. <laughs> Um, but as for this episode, that is all we have for you today. Thank you so much, Carla, for joining. Thank you for having me. Of course, pop in their podcast cherry right now. No, literally. I was so nervous, but so nervous. You guided me through it. See, it's, it's just so much (laughs) more fun whenever you're just doing it, you know, this is kind of fun, you know? Um, so yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you listeners for tuning in. Um, like I said, make sure you go support Carla and their tattoo endeavors. And thank you for always supporting me. Um, I don't think I have anything else for you as of right now. Just make sure you uh, keep up to date with the latest podcast updates and news and whatnot at Your Horror Podcast on every single platform. Alrighty. Hell yeah. Have yourselves a great week, a great day, and uh, I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. (laughs) PhD in black cinema, sister soldier. Listen, I read my entertainment weekly, okay? I know my shit.